You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading tonight is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Lord, very much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this people. Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight as we open up your word, as we look at what it means for us to be committed to one another. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your wisdom as we work through this. May these words be your words. And Lord, if anything is not of you, may it be forgotten quickly, Lord, we pray. Lord, in your name, amen. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Rabo Richardson, and I am one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and I am excited to be with you this evening. But before we get started, it is a torch night, so kids, this is your moment to start headed over to your teachers. All right, well, if you are just joining with us here, we are in the middle of a three-week uh, sermon series on commitment. The third, this is the third and final week. Next week, we'll be returning to Luke and our normal rhythms of going through a, verse, uh, sorry, a book of the Bible um, piece by piece. Um, but in between books, it's good for us to take a moment and to think through some deeper things and uh, some different things. And so tonight, we're going to be thinking through God's people commit to each other. But that commitment only makes sense if... Uh, first off of how our commitment, uh, our commitment to God and God's commitment to his people. So let's take a few minutes and remember what we've been learning over the past few weeks. Uh, first two weeks ago, Nathan set the table um, with God commits to his people. We are living in a time where we may be everything or, or most things. As Nathan pointed out back in the 20 teens, if I think that's what we call it, and uh, we were more of a FOMO culture or a fear of missing out see people on social media or perhaps have friends and just be worried that we are, uh, we are not living our full life. But towards the uh, beginning of 2020 and certainly afterwards, we now live more with a phobo mindset of fear of better options instead of being worried of, be- of missing out. We're worried about committing to anything because something better might come along that we want to leave ourselves open for. But thanks be to God, he's the God who is committed to us. As Nathan reminded us in Romans 5, that we are a sinful people, and then, and then we are enemies of God. And the news is so bad that we, that we can't do anything about it. And from that deep pit, dark truth, 
that we can't do anything to save ourselves, we are then given this glorious verse of Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Praise God for his committedness to us, that God is way more committed to our salvation than we are, and that when my fear, uh, when I, I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. Praise God. God's people, um, we can live in peace with God. Praise the Lord. And after all of Nathan's talk of FOMO and FOBO, surprisingly no references to Frodo, um, but instead reminded us that we live in the peace and security of Wakanda, uh, or the peace and security of Christ today, and not some distant time in the future. Because God's commitment to us, we have the gift of God himself and peace with God now. Second, last week, Kyle walked us through how God's people commit to God. Kyle asked the question, how do we commit to a God who has done all the work for us? And then he, get, he helped us walk through that answer in Romans 12.1, that we are called to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship. Kyle helped us think through what it meant to be a living sacrifice, that phrase that we come to God with this life-death posture. Uh, alive to Christ, committed to pursuing sanctification, and also moment to moment putting to death the, our sinful and selfish desires. And that is our spirit, that our spiritual worship to the Lord is not passive, but is active. It's not one and done action, it is lifelong. It is a glorious and wonderful worship of God that has no finish line and only more and more of conforming into the image of Christ. In our spiritual worship of God, we resist conforming to the world. As Kyle pointed out, conformity with the world is easy. It is much easier to go with the flow of this world than it is to, and we can be invisible to conflict, but our spiritual worship is one of transformation, a visible renewing of our minds that we may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God is, and then go do it. As Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I've been greatly blessed by both you brothers for your diligence to the word to solidly set the foundations for this sermon. God's people commit to each other. So thank you, brothers, and let's dive in. Well, God's people commit to each other. What does this mean? What are we committing to? Uh, well, part of my job as an engineer is I put together scopes of work for different projects. A scope of work is essentially just a detailed explanation of what we're going to provide for our clients. We try to identify the tasks we try to, and the needs that need to be accomplished a, pro, a project. And in the, these scopes of work, we put together all kinds of assumptions and terms and conditions. And then the scope is then signed by both parties, which becomes legally binding commitment that stands in terms of our partnership. While this is standard business practice, um, is this the type of commitment that we're talking about or we're making here at Christ Church? The answer to that is no, no. Our commitment to one another is not based on a predetermined set of expectations that say, you do this so there I will do that, or that you don't do this so I'm in no way obligated to respond with that, right? That would be a kind of contractual commitment um, that requires actions as a condition of relationship. But the kind of commitment we make here at Christ Church, we are committing to a covenant of fellowship. We commit to each other only because God has already fulfilled all of our commitments and all of, has fulfilled all the conditions. Our relationship with each other is based on unity with a common relationship with Christ. 
our actions toward one another flow from the overflowing love Christ has poured out on us. Our covenant of fellowship is a rich and has rich and biblical truth of who we aspire to be as a church. They are, uh, they are like wedding vows that we commit to one another. We renew these vows as a church each time we add new members to our body. We just did this a, f- uh, a few weeks ago. And while our covenant of fellowship is not particularly long, it's just over a page, I think it can be concentrated down to this. We are committed to walking alongside one another as we follow after Christ to love and serve one another in the likeness of Christ and all for the sake of God's glory alone. i say that one more time. We here at Christ Church are committed to walking alongside one another as we follow after Christ together to love and serve one another in the likeness of Christ and all for the sake of God's glory alone. This is what we are doing together, Christ Church. This is what we are committing to. Over the past few Sundays, we've primarily looked at uh, perhaps a vertical relationship with God about how God commits to his people and how God's people commit to him. We are now going to spend this sermon looking more horizontally at our relationships with each other. But before we do that, let's take a moment and consider that these are not mutually exclusive ideas. In the household of the Lord, we should not think of our relationship with God as its own room that we just do with me and God, and then somewhere down the hall is where I fellowship with God's people. Um, No, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with his people are woven together. We are all in the living room of the Father's house. We cannot divorce the bride of Christ, the church, from Christ himself. And we cannot say that I love Jesus, but I really don't want anything to do with his bride. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is put to the test by a lawyer with this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, he says back to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said this to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer responds trying to justify himself, but you'll have to come back in a few weeks uh, to find out the end of that as we'll be returning back to Luke. But here, Jesus is being questioned about what we should do to inherit eternal life. And he responds not with just one requirement, but with two. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's be clear, none of us can do this. None of us can achieve this standard love only Christ, only Jesus has, and only through him can we inherit eternal life. But that does not mean we do not strive for these things um, as Jesus commands. And we should not separate or compartmentalize our love of God and our love of people. Jesus does not. They are right there next to one another, side by side, as the standard of the law that Israel was called to keep. So as we grow in our love for God, our love for our neighbor should also grow. Why? Because God loves people, especially his people, his church. When we really love something, we want more of it. We want to experience the thing that we love to its fullest extent. If what we love is a person, we start to look and act how we think that person would want us to start to look and act. As Nathan has said here before, we, be, we begin uh, to become what we behold. If we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and mind and strength, 
we are saying that we are committing our whole selves, the sum of our material and immaterial parts, all of what makes us a whole person, to love God. The things that God loves, I love. So it is no surprise that Jesus immediately follows the command to love God with the command to love people. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the most important thing God wants us to do is to love one another. Let's not put the cart before the horse. What I am saying is that when we love God, woven into our love of God is a love for his people, for what he loves. And when we love each other, Christ church, woven into our love for one another is our love for God. So please, as we work through what it means for God's people to commit to each other, let's not try to put this in its own category box. But instead, let's build upon what we've been learning these past few weeks. Our foundation is God's commitment to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And then in response to God's mercy, we commit ourselves to God as living sacrifices. And then we as God's committed people who desire to love what God loves, we commit ourselves to each other. Tonight, we're going to think through how we commit to each other in two parts. They're a bit wordy, but I think that they get the point. Committing to act Christ-like to one another and committing our different giftings to serve one another. So let's dive in. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Paul focuses in on our need for humility in three different statements. First, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Uh, there was a YouTube ad a few months back. Uh, the scene is a, full, people, uh, a plane full of people, and there's a flight attendant who's looking frantic and worried. She gets on the intercom, and she says, is there anyone on board who can fly a plane? And the scene pans back, and you see two people sitting next to him. One is clearly a pilot. He's got, like, the uniform on and everything. And then there's this guy in a Hawaiian shirt. Pilot begins to stand up, and the guy in the Hawaiian shirt jumps in front of him, and he says, I got this. I got this. I've seen tons of shows and movies. It was an ad for a streaming service. And he runs up to the bewildered flight attendant, and he says, now is the cockpit in the front or in the back? And clearly, this guy has no idea what he was doing. It makes for a funny commercial, but it also illustrates, I think, how we sometimes can have a way higher view of ourselves than we should. Paul is very aware of our tendency to have self-inflated view of ourselves. This is not the first time Paul warns of pride. In chapter 11, he describes how we've been grafted into the family of God and reminds us that our salvation is God's kindness and that we should not be proud. And then later in chapter 12, Paul tells us to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the low, um, with the low and with the lowly, that is. The, this warning is all over scripture. Beware our pride. Be very suspicious of how highly we view ourselves. This is probably best summarized in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. So how did Jesus come to his people? What was Jesus' heart as he walked alongside his people? He came not grasping for equality with God. He took the form of a servant and was born into the likeness of men, and he obeyed the Father. If this is how Jesus comes to his people, how do we come to his people, his church, each other? What is the setting of our hearts as we walk alongside one another? We live in a society where we hear about equality and fairness a lot. Proverbs 11.1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Our God delights in fairness and justice. But as Jesus walked the earth, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. As the world consistently misunderstood and mistreated Jesus at every turn, Jesus never threw up his hands and said, forget it. Uh, If you're not going to treat me the way that I deserve, then I'm out. Um, No, Jesus was long-suffering and patient. Even though Jesus absolutely deserved all the glory and honor and love and obedience, he he didn't grasp after those things. So also we should not grasp after people's attention and affections, which in contrast to Christ, we don't actually deserve. And then we get frustrated when nobody notices. The posture of our hearts towards our brothers and sisters should be one of, I will love you because Christ loves you. And I will love you when you don't deserve it. And I will love you when you don't notice it because Jesus loves me like that. Loving us was not convenient or comfortable for Jesus. He took the form of a servant. He became a man. He willingly operated in the limitations of a human body. Uh, lost myself in the notes. Stand by. And, uh, and Jesus moved. Uh, there we are. And he operated in the limitations of a human body for the major- majority of his time here on earth. Jesus moved from the realms of glory to the realm of grubby and grumbling human beings. I remember as a teenager going on a short-term mission trip with my youth group. On this trip, we were going to spend a week fixing people's homes. Well, on the way there, we stopped at a theme park for a day of fun. And I don't remember exactly how, but somehow on one of the rides, everybody's shoes got soaked. Uh, We left them outside the hotel to try to dry overnight. And I remember the next morning, my pastor, as we were loading up to go, he asked me, Rabo, will you go and grab everybody's shoes and put them in the back? And I responded with something like, "Uh, I am not going to touch everybody's grubby and dirty, stinky shoes. Something like that. And then to my shame, my pastor's wife instead went and grabbed all of it. Um, Well, later that evening, uh, when we got to the site, my pastor rightfully confronted me. He said, Rabo, how are you going, if you're not willing to touch your friend's shoes, how are you going to serve and help people all this week? And although I wasn't grateful for it at the time, I'm grateful for the correction of my pastor in that moment. Because for the son son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I want my heart to be willing to be uncomfortable and patient to be inconvenienced, to walk alongside all of you, as you do for me, because we are all following after our great king who became a servant to serve us. And while Jesus served us, he also perfectly obeyed the Father. When I hear about Jesus' obedience to the Father, sometimes I want to say, of course, Jesus is perfect. I know that. Let's move on. But let's slow down for a moment and really acknowledge that truth. It took real effort to obey the Father. 
Now, Jesus never went looking for sin, but we know that he was tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness by Satan to use his divine nature to satisfy his human hunger. We know that Jesus was in agony when he pleaded with the Father on the, uh, in his prayer on the Mount of Olives, but he submitted to the Father. He said, not my will, but your will. Love and obedience to the Father is the fountain from which our love and service of our neighbor flow. These go hand in hand, just like we talked about earlier with the greatest commandment. We have missed the mark if our lives are seemingly in obedience to God, but we are indifferent to each other. And vice versa, if we are indifferent or lax in our obedience to God, we cannot make up for that by just being real nice to one another. Um, neither one of these imitates Christ. So the manner of, that, of Jesus was to walk humbly alongside his people, to lead his people with a servant and loving heart, to obey the Father without conditions and without exceptions. Christ's church, if this is the manner in which Jesus comes to us, why should we aim for anything different as we live alongside one another? Let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Paul's second reminder for humility is to consider ourselves with sober judgment. If we consider a, uh, how we view ourselves on a spectrum, with a high view ourselves on one side and a low view on the other, I think we have a tendency to lean one way or the other. On the high view, which is often where I find myself, instead of viewing myself with sober judgment, I often view myself with biased judgment. Several years back, my boss asked me to pick up a coworker from the airport. Uh, he was flying in from one of our other offices and he, helped, he was gonna help with some specialty work and he needed a ride. And I'd never met this gentleman before, so I asked my boss, well, uh, what does he look like? How am I gonna recognize? And my boss looked at me and he looked me up and down and he was like, he looks a lot like you. And I was like, all right. Well, when I finally did meet him, I was like, I don't think I look like that. Uh, this gentleman was a very nice person, a great engineer, but I didn't think he looked like me. He was middle-aged and heavy-set and balding, maybe. Um, um, we often have a view of ourselves that is very charitable to our own faults and weaknesses. And conversely, we can have a high view of our strengths. And while much can be said about having sober judgment, let's consider two things. Christ Church, can we soberly receive correction well? Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How do you receive correction? Do you immediately get defensive and try to justify all of your actions? It could be very well that in conflict, we need to have context of what's going on. But in the moment of confrontation, do you at least pause and really consider that perhaps that we have offended or hurt our brother or sister, that maybe they have a point? Do we remember that we are sinners and that without Christ, we would rightfully deserve hell? And because I still have a flesh nature, it's, it's not impossible that I have offended or hurt someone. In our conflicts, Christ's church, let's pause and take a sober moment of self-reflection and seek forgiveness from each other. Second thing, Christ's church, can we soberly consider what we give our time to? Proverbs 14, 15 says, the prudent gives, thoughts, gives thought to his steps. Do you say yes to everything? Um, this is a sneaky one. Uh, there are many good and right things we need to say yes to, but, but it can't be everything, right? Do we have such a high view of ourselves that we think we can really do everything? 
Eventually, by saying yes to everything, we are effectively saying no to other things. There are some easy examples of this, like it's really hard to get a quiet time before 8 a.m. on work, uh, 8 a.m. work if I'm up at 2 a.m. watching Netflix. That's an, that's an easy one. But it gets much harder when we're having to decide to say no to good things in order to say yes to better things. We are finite and we cannot do all things. So with sober judgment, we should consider what we give our time and our talents and our treasure to. It's really hard to love someone, love each other, whom we spend no time with. So let's guard our time together, Christ Church. Let's make it a habit of meeting together on Sunday in our gospel communities. Um, I want it to feel really weird when I don't see you guys. Let's work, let's live together as Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 calls us to. Let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now going back to the spectrum view of ourselves, we can lean uh, the other way and have too low of a view of ourselves. And this can have the appearance of humility, but not actually be humility. Uh, Paul Carter, a Canadian brother and pastor, wrote a helpful article on humility in which he explains that insecurity and indecisiveness and inactivity should not be confused for biblical humility. We should consider our insecurities. As Kyle reminded us last week, what we fear is a reflection of what we love. If we love to be seen as strong, we will be afraid of showing any sign of weakness. If we love to be seen as self-sufficient, we will be afraid to ask for help. If we love to be seen as smart, we will be afraid of asking questions. Our insecurities draw us away from one another. But the truth is we all have weaknesses, we all need help, uh, we all have questions. Our confidence does not come from self-help or just trying to muster up some courage. Our confidence is not found in ourselves. No, we can only be strong and courageous because God is with us. And we can only take heart because Christ has overcome the world. And I need to be reminded of that every day. And I need your help to remember. So Christ Church, let's be here together, weak, in need, and with questions, reminding each other of the goodness of God. We should be cautious about our indecisiveness. It is certainly good for us to ask questions and not to make hasty decisions, but we can't just live in a holding pattern all of our lives. Kyle mentioned last week the church of Laodicea, Revelations 3, 15, and 16. Jesus said to them, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is talking about how this church is walking with one foot alongside him and then one foot outside of the, in the world. And as like Kyle said last week, that is a miserable place for us to be. Are we committed to Christ um, here at Christ Church? Or do we have one foot in here with one foot out there looking for better options? Now, I'm not saying that if you choose to leave Christ Church that you are un an unbeliever. There are, there are good and right reasons to leave a church. We are not a perfect church, and this room is full of sinners, myself included. But uh, let's resist the world's wisdom that says keep your options open. Lastly, we should resist inactivity. We just thought through how we cannot say yes to everything, 
Well, the other side of the coin is, what, is that saying no to most things. Now, there are times and seasons where we have to say no to just about everything. When our twins were born, they came seven months premature. They had to stay in the hospital and the NICU for seven months. And when they did come home, there were lots of doctor's appointments. Seven, did I say seven months? I said two months, two months, sorry. Don't let me get that wrong. Let me get that wrong, sorry. Let me not overblow this, sorry. But when they did come home after two months in the hospital, uh, the, there were lots of doctor's appointments to monitor their development and making sure that their bodies were growing and just the effort it was to just get them to eat. Um, overall, it took the better part of a year before it felt normal at the Richardson House. There, there are times where we have to say no to most things. Let me have a quick aside here, and I'll try to do this without weeping. As we were saying no to just about everything, Christchurch, you said yes to our family by bringing us meals, helping us watch our kids while Annie and I were at the hospital doing, you did our laundry. Thank you, Christchurch. Uh, thank you, Christchurch, for considering the needs of my family better than the needs of yours. And you served my family then, and you served my family today. Thank you. Uh, so while there are times that we have to say no, we don't want to be active, inactive. All of us have gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us. None of us come here with nothing to offer each other. Paul makes the analogy of, in the next few verses that we are individual members of a whole human body. There are no parts of our body that do nothing. They all work together in different ways. And while human bodies can function sometimes without some of the parts, like perhaps you've had your appendix removed, um, but our bodies work best when all the parts are doing what they are designed to do. We, the church, are not supposed to be passive observers. We are meant to be active members, actively worshiping the Lord and actively serving one another. Not just a few of us, but all of us are called to be actively engaged in our body in different ways. However, we can be tempted toward inactivity when we compare our giftings with the giftings of our brothers and sisters next to us. But let's resist comparison and idleness, and let's use the gifts that God has given us to edify this body. Let's heed the warning of Jesus, um, heed the warning of Jesus in the story of the servant who takes the talent of money from his master that is entrusted to him, and instead of producing something with it, he buries it in the field, leaving it unused and just waits to return it because he's just too afraid to use it. No matter what our giftings are, let's not trust in our own ability, but let's trust in God's ability to work through his people. I should never be surprised at how God can use our seemingly small gifts to make huge impacts as he works through his people. To the many folks who served my family while, while the twins were in the hospital, you may have thought it was a small thing to come and just sit in our house and watch our older kids, but it was a huge thing because, because you were sitting at our house, Annie and I could sit at the hospital and hold our twins and praise God for his mercy. So Christ Church, let's actively use the gifts God has given us for each other's good and for God's glory. <laughs> Paul's final reminder for humility in this verse is that there are no grounds for boasting. He actually sandwiches it, this between two statements. He starts off this verse with, for by the grace given to me, Paul knows that his ministry flows from the grace God has given. And we all serve each other according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us. 
Therefore, how can we boast in ourselves and our abilities when it is God who generously gives us our giftings and the faith to carry those out? So instead of considering one another, or, com- or sorry, comparing to one another, let's hold up Christ as the standard and what we are striving after. Instead of boasting in ourselves, let us boast in the Lord, as 1 Corinthians 1.31 tells us. Let us be constantly in the scriptures, in our, on our own and with each other, and reminding ourselves of the glorious workings of God and the overwhelming amount of grace that he has given us. Christ Church, may this be the manner of commitment that we have to one another. Let's commit to walk alongside one another as we all follow after Christ together, to love and serve one another in the likeness of Christ, all for the sake of God's glory alone. All right, next, committing our giftings to serve one another. Now that we've done the heavy lifting of trying to look at being Christ-likeness, let's look at giftings. Um, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. We serve as individuals, uh, individual parts of a body. We don't identify with our individual functions. We find our identity in Christ as individual members of Christ's body, his church. We all have different giftings. And um, we should acknowledge that, um, that some of these giftings have greater visibility. But let's be very careful not to equate greater visibility with greater importance. Right now, there are a lot of unseen members at work here in our body. Right now, there's probably eight or so different folks who are serving this body by watching over kids. There are several folks serving on the safety team right now. And every week, there are folks who come and help set up this service and then help tear it down. Um, I don't think any of these folks are looking for a thank you. Um, but let's make sure to tell them anyway, um, because they are serving us right now. Um, because they are serving us right now, we can be worshiping here. And we can go a step further. What about all the prayer for one another that happens throughout this week? Uh, most of us, most of which is only known by God. Um, it's been a great gift to have Michael Besuaros to join us as the elders, as I am often eager to jump into logistics and planning, that my brother is quick to remind me to be diligent in prayer um, for our people and for plans. In the spirit of Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. So let's be careful not to weigh heavier the visible working parts of our body. It's, it's easy to forget my kidneys. I don't often think about them, but they are absolutely essential to my body working correctly. So instead of worrying about the visibility of our gifts, let's focus on how we can use our gifts for the health and well-being of our church, all for the glory of God alone. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul gives us a list of seven gifts here. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and acts of mercy. And this is not meant to be an exhaustive list um, of different giftings that are out there, but it's rather to be illustrative and sampling of the different types of gifts that we can have. With one exception, prophecy, all of these other gifts are pretty straightforward. 
So let's start there. Prophecy. When I hear the word prophecy, I automatically think of fortune-telling or predicting the future. But that's not quite what prophecy means here in Scripture. I've had a lot of help understanding this, and we could spend much longer discussing this. Um, but here is what I think is most helpful for the context of what we are trying to, uh, we're trying to talk about today. In Scripture, we see two types of prophecy. Prophecy one is uh, what we see in like the Old Testament prophets or, or apostolic prophecy. It has God's authority and it should be uh, believed and received without question or hesitation. This is not the type of pro- um, prophecy that we are talking about that we serve each other here. Prophecy two can come from any believer, especially from a pastor or a teacher, and it should always be weighed and measured against scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what it has said. Prophecy too is not primarily new revelation, but correctly understanding and applying God's word as revealed in scripture. Again, more can be said about this, but for now, we serve each other in prophecy by, as when, what John Calvin says, by having a right understanding of scripture and skillfully and wisely interpreting it to explain and explain God's will. The next six giftings are much easier to explain, um, so much so that Paul doesn't even provide an explanation or qualification for the next three. If service in our serving, the one who's teaching in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, there is no lack of opportunity to exercise these gifts in our body. If you can serve, serve. If you can teach, teach. If you can exhort or encourage others in Christ, then do so. Uh, There is a get-it-done tone to this. Don't overthink it. Jump into it. Absolutely do these things with wisdom. But maybe adopt Mr. Bigwell's motto from robots of see a need, fill a need. The three next gifts Paul adds qualifiers to. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In our giving, let us give generously. As 2 Corinthians 9 tells us, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's take the treasure that God has mercifully and charitably given us, and let's share it joyfully with, the, with this church and with each other. With leadership, let's lead with zeal or passion. Leadership is hard. It is not easy. Let's be aware of that as we lead. Let's lead with passion in the Lord and not in expectation of accolades. Acts of mercy, let's do that with cheerfulness. Let's not begrudgingly help our neighbor. What we tell our children to do uh, when we are talking with them, we're training them, is we tell them to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. In the light of what Christ has done for us all, let us joyfully and cheerfully serve one another. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a sampling of, lists, a sampling of gifts that we are given. But let's pursue excellence in all these things. I suspect that some of us are stronger in one or two of these things listed here. But none of us should look at this list and say, no, I, do, I don't do giving, or, and, or no, I, I don't do encouraging. Let's be prayerfully asking the Lord how we can use our strengths for his glory and prayerfully asking him to grow us in our weakness. Uh, I feel weak up here, Christ Church, being able to bring this word here. 
Let's pray, let God be the glory, and let's be on the lookout to exercise the gifts that God has given us. Let me close with one last story. Annie had a uh, dinner with a dear friend of ours, and our friend shared a conversation that she had had recently with a friend. Uh, one of her friends was recently going through a spice cabinet. Sadly, many of the ingredients were, uh, had been, were expired, and they were just needing to be thrown away. Some of the spices had hardly been used at all. And in this seemingly mundane, everyday task, this wise older woman saw a gospel application. She shared that she did not want to be, she did not want to come to the end of her life and be like one of these barely or partially used ingredients. No, she wanted to be completely used up for the kingdom of God, to have been used up all the giftings and all the talents that God has given her um, in this life for God's glory. Christ Church, let's put our different giftings to work. Let's use them up for God's glory. And let's do this together. Let's be committed to walking alongside one another as we follow after Christ together to love and serve one another in the likeness of Christ and all for the sake of God's glory alone. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this time. God, I pray that you would lead this people. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. Lord, the many faces that I've been able to look out and see, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the gift of all of these people here. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would be with us. Be with us as we commit to one another, Lord. May we commit to, to each other as we are committing to you, God. That we act towards one another as we follow Christ, as we look to Christ as our example and not as ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness, which are new every morning. Lord, please lead us. Please lead our church. We thank you for the God that you are. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.